looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. Those of you who are our guests, you don't know, but we have been studying the book of 1 Thessalonians, and I have only two more messages, Lord willing, to be able to give in the next couple of weeks. And we've learned from 1 Thessalonians as well as 2 Thessalonians that every chapter, so to speak, and chapters are there by man, is part of a letter that is explaining the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there was a man in the Bible by the name of Paul who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write accurately what God wanted us to know about him, how to live now and how to be prepared for when he comes again. And it was a letter that was written at that time to a new church. In fact, that church was barely a year old. So there were a lot of new believers in the church. And it wasn't loaded with a lot of highfalutin professional people. Mostly it was slaves that have come to faith in Jesus Christ, common people of different ethnic backgrounds. So it was a very young church in their knowledge of God and even in their walk with the Lord. And so he was really teaching them how to live. But we finished up chapter 4 in the early part of chapter 5 when he was talking about that the Lord at any moment could come back. In fact, he could come back so quickly it'd be described in Scripture as a... Can you look up here? It's It's even faster than a blink of an eye. It's called a twinkling of an eye. It can happen that fast. But at the same time, he wrote that 2,000 years ago and we've been all waiting for that little twinkling of an eye and the sound of the trumpet and the voice of God and the shout of the archangel and that the Lord would come back again. But he hasn't come back. He didn't come back so quickly either, even in the Bible days, because these people in Thessalonica were thinking, oh, any moment he could come back. So there was a struggle in the church. In the church, there were people that were hot for God and wanting to serve the Lord. There were others saying, there's no need to get involved, no need to work, because the Lord can come back at any moment. So since he's going to come back, I don't need to have a job, don't need to take care of my family. I don't need to get involved with the other believers. I'm just going to do what I need to do and what I want to do until he comes back. And that created a bunch of idle people, people that sometimes were a bit unruly because they didn't really have any directions that they chose to follow. And so he was really speaking to that. And then there was also people in the church that were a little bit discouraged. Remember, they were new believers and they thought, well, the Lord's supposed to come back, but he's not, he's not here yet. Maybe what I believe is wrong and maybe this persecution that I'm getting, I shouldn't be getting right now. And maybe I just need to go back to my old way. This was kind of new. It was kind of a fad. It was kind of cool. And it was great. It kind of helped me for a while. But I see the wheels falling off my belief system very rapidly. And so I need to maybe consider doing something else. So they were getting discouraged. So Paul, prompted by the Holy Spirit to write this, he wanted to settle the troops and to give them some principles about encouraging one another in all different phases of their life. Now, again, to you guests that are here, you don't know our faith family. We are definitely not perfect. There are definite needs that we have here in our church amongst ourselves to grow and to learn. There are certain things we need to set aside and truths and lifestyles to embrace. And we need to do more maybe with one another and out of the facility here. Now that I said that, I do want you to know this is a very healthy church. And today's message, as best as I know, and we spent a lot of time with you at camp listening to you. This is not a message to correct a problem in our church. When you hear this, it's more of a message for me to wrap my arm around you to say, you're doing such a good job that I want you now not to take the medicine of the word, but I want you to take the vitamins of the word so you'll be strong, so you'll, you'll be ready to withstand any challenge that might come your way. So I want to speak about encouragement, the art of encouragement. I read a quote recently by William Arthur Ward, and it goes like this. Flatter me, I may not believe you. Criticize me, 
I may not like you. Ignore me, I might not even forgive you. Encourage me, I'll never forget you. You know, if you go back in memory lane, you could remember times when you were down and discouraged because of issues that you're going through and somebody on their own, for whatever reason, just came to you and with their words, they wrapped their arms around you to say just the right thing to lift you, to encourage you at that particular time. As I look down on my own life, and maybe some of yours, I could probably go through the things in my life that are crisis, that will bring me to a need of being encouraged. For example, maybe a loss of a job. We're heard on the radio, and I'm sure there are people that have lost their job and are still wondering whether they'll get another job. You need encouragement. There are others that have lost their health. And as our church continues to get older with our people, we're blessed with so many cakey and young people, but they'll be older ones. Their health is going to go. And pretty soon they're going to do everything they can. And finally the doctor is going to say, you know what? You're just getting old. And so there's that loss of that health and vitality. Others are going to have a loss of a relationship. And I grieve when someone loses someone, whether it's through death, a loved one, or a friend, or maybe in a relationship of marriage or a best friend or a roommate, and things just start going downhill after that. And I really hurt for you. And so you need to be encouraged. And then there are those that you're doing everything right, but something happens. You're just hit with one scud missile after another that is depleting your resources. The car breaks down. The water heater in the house breaks down. The roof needs. You find out you have termites. Everything is just caving in around you. And you're wondering, but I give my life to the Lord. I have my quiet time every day. I try to invite people to hear the word on Sunday. But yet everything is happening. Well, maybe that's the case with you. And so for you, you need to be encouraged. And then I'm thinking of those of you who said, you know, I try to encourage people. But if you're like me, after I go up to someone and try to encourage them, I sometimes walk away and I feel like, I wonder if I did as good a job as I could have done. I wonder if I could learn more. Is there more that I could have said? Or how could I have said this better to scratch them where they itch emotionally to encourage them? So I don't know where you are on this whole compendium of encouragement. Maybe you need to be encouraged. Maybe you need to learn how to encourage. But I believe since the Lord is coming back, but not here yet, that we're surrounded by people that need to be encouraged. And so today, I'd like to equip you to be a, a person that will add value to others that are around us. Well, let me tell you about how it is when the Lord comes back as far as an illustration. So picture this with me, because you're going to see how different people might live their life in encouragement. All right, the Lord is going to come back. It's like going to the airport. And I know that some of you are going to be flying out of here in the next week or so, some even this afternoon, some tonight. But when you go to the airport, let's pretend for a moment that that's like the Lord coming in on this airplane, like he's coming back, but he comes in on an airplane. But now the airplane doesn't show up. Some of you have flown standby, haven't you? And you know what that's like. But now you kind of look at this great airplane, air, 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 uh, what do you call the terminal with all these people. Here are some of the kind of people that you have. You have those that are the pushers. They're the ones that kind of push themselves up to the front of the line and saying, when is this plane coming back? What are you going to do for us? And how can we get a voucher for something to eat? Are you going to put us up for the night? What's happening? How do I get my flight? And there are pushers. And I know that there are some people when they try to encourage, they step over the line and they are too pushy with it. Then you have those that are the doubters. They're the ones that says, you know, the plane's not coming, probably never will come. I don't know what's going to happen now. Look at this airline. It's never on time. And you have those that are out there saying, I heard about the Lord coming back, but ah, he's not going to come back. Hadn't come back then. So you know what? It's going to be today like it was in the days of Noah. Some flood, yeah, but the Lord will come back. And then there are those that I call players. Have you ever been at the airport when the plane hasn't arrived yet? People then say, you know what? Let's go find a coffee shop. Let's get out our computers and let's play some video games and let's just make a party out of this. 
And there are others that think that since the Lord hasn't come back yet, that the way that they deal with the discouragement is just play, 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 play. And then you have those that are the users. Now, this is a little harder one for you to follow in my illustration, but those are the ones that they take advantage of others when there's a problem. Now, maybe the Lord hasn't come back yet. And so they said, okay, the Lord hasn't come back yet, but look at how bad the world is going to be. going to be an economic crash right here. We're going to be without food and gasoline and water. So guess what? I'm going to sell you water and food and dried food so you can have it. I'm making money off of people's fears. Those are the users. And then you have the sleepers. Have you been to the airport when the plane hasn't been around? And there are people that are crunched up around all their little carry-on bags and trying to fall asleep. You wonder if you could ever wake them up if the plane did show up and they'll miss the flight when it does come. And there are people today that just are in la-la land, not even believing that Christ could come back at any moment. So what they're doing is they're just kind of ignoring their problems, thinking that it's going to go away. And then finally, and I believe with all my heart that you want to be this. You're the encouragers. You're the ones that are looking at the people that are saying, you know what, don't worry, don't be afraid. The plane will come. When this plane comes, it's going to be all gassed up. When we get on that plane, it's going to be a safe flight to our destination. Don't worry about it. Don't lose heart. Stay alert because any moment we're going to get that call and you're going to be there to go from person to person to person to encourage them. And I hope that would be the case. Well, those of you that brought your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 as we're going to go through a number of verses. If you didn't come with your Bible, that's all right. It's in the worship folder given to you. It'll be up on the screen, and there's a Bible under your seat. So there's Bibles everywhere if you'd like to follow. Now, there's a lot of truths in this, but I tried to do it in a way that you can grab a hold of some mountain peaks to go through this. So there's going to be three ways, three qualities of an encourager. And if all you could remember are three of all the points in this message, these would be the three that I'd like you to take home with you and let them become real in your life through the power of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So the first one is we're going to call the quality of appreciation. Sometimes when you encourage someone, it's going to be just looking at them and recognizing that they have value because God made them. They're made in the image of God and they're living out their giftedness. So we're going to show them some appreciation. Let me read to you verses 12 and 13 of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. Here's what it says. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Well, I'd like to talk for just a moment about the role that spiritual leaders have in your life and what, first of all, we who are spiritual leaders ought to do in our role as responsibility to you, and then also to talk about the responsibility of those of us who are in spiritual leadership to you, and then you back to us. Now, I know for a moment right here, this is very difficult for me to speak on. There's probably three or four topics in the Bible that is very difficult for me to speak on. One is when I go through the crucifixion of Christ. I know it's the bedrock of our faith, but when I talk about the physical experience that Christ went through, that is very difficult for me to speak about, to open up for you, and to plummet the depths of trying to understand the pain and the suffering that he went through. The second is when I talk about the reality of hell. I know you don't hear that in a lot of pulpits today, but there really is a place called hell. You can define it with another word, any word you want, but it's a horrible place separated from God for all eternity in eternal judgment, hell. The third thing I find difficult to speak on is whenever I have to speak on the topic of the importance of our responsibility in giving money to stewardship of what God's given to us. And the fourth is when I have to talk about how you're to treat spiritual leaders. 
We who are in a spiritual leadership role, we often find it very difficult to talk on that topic because, first of all, you know, we don't feel very worthy about it. Secondly, when I speak on this, it looks like I'm self-serving, like, uh, uh, don't appreciate me. No, no, don't appreciate me. Don't, don't appreciate me, you know, and I don't want to sound like that. And those are in spiritual leadership. We don't want that to be the case. And then lastly, I can tell you this. Guys, gals, you are doing it. This year, when you had pastor appreciation time, I don't know how you all did it, but we were given. It was an incredible gift that we were given. And I want to thank you for your generosity and sacrifice at a time on our island that you've done that. The words, the cards, the notes, the special gifts, the things that you do, the loads you take off of us, the times you pray for us, the words of encouragement, the reminders not to forget something so we don't, quote, step in it. You are all there to add value to us. So this won't take long because you're doing a great job. But at the same time, those of you who are new into this, you need to know that we have a responsibility. And sometimes those that are out there giving of themselves so much need to have their tank filled just a little bit. So with that in mind, let's talk about how do you appreciate those that are in a spiritual leadership role. It talks about those who are over you. I do not want you to magically think that this is only talking about pastors. It is talking about anyone who would be over you. So if you serve on a team, but there is a team captain, that person is over you on that team. He might facilitate it, but that person is over you. If someone is in charge of something and you decide to serve with that person and they have that responsibility in that one area for that one event, they're over you. And this is how we are to respond. Now, ultimately, the model comes from the pastor's level because we do have the ultimate responsibility over all of you because we watch for your sake because we have to give an account of it to the Lord. But at the same time, it's for everybody to work together. So what are we supposed to appreciate them for? First of all, it's going to be for their hard work. Now, in order for you to appreciate someone for their hard work, that means those that are in a spiritual leadership role need to be doing what? Working hard. And so it has to be out there working. And so I will tell you that if you're looking for hard work, just get involved in ministry. If you don't like hard work, then just be a bum. I mean, just don't work. Those that are involved in ministry are going to be those that are going to labor hard. In fact, the word labor in the Greek is a word that means toil to the point of weariness. That when they go to bed at night, they have no trouble sleeping. That sometimes they're asleep before their head hits the pillow because what have they been doing? Listen carefully. They've been busy teaching and preaching and doing things to help people to become a new believer in Christ, or that they'll become a fully obedient worshiper of God. So it's that kind of hard work, and we appreciate them. The second is for their leadership. Now, in order for them to be appreciated for their leadership, that means they have to go in front of someone. They've got to take the lead. They've got to step out in front. Now, remember, the person that's a leader has not been given that responsibility to monopolize but they are to multiply the ministry. So when you're in leadership, it's not so you can take over, so you're the big cheese. You're placed in leadership so you can be the greater servant of the group so that you can do whatever is necessary to encourage them to go to the next level. So look for their leadership skills. Are they the ones that are setting the example, going before, taking the bullet first, the first one there, the last one to leave? Those kinds of things to show you. And that's all part of hard work. The third is going to be in the area of called teaching. Yes, it's important to lead. Not everybody has the gift of leadership, and teaching does not necessarily mean that you have a pulpit or a podium to do that. You can teach by just one-on-one, -on -one, coming alongside someone, sharing a Bible verse, answering a question, doing some counseling, doing some discipleship. Maybe it's through the Internet, sending an email to someone. But what you're doing is making sure that they know more about the Word so they can know God more accurately. And so you're a teacher. So what we do is we look for those people in your life. So pause for a moment. Use your notes. 
Who do you know right now in your world is someone who's working hard, who's an influencer as a leader and a servant, and finally someone who is imparting God's word, and they've done it to you? And then ask the Lord, what can you do to recognize that person in your own life? What can you do to encourage them? What do they need that you have been gifted, I mean money-wise, but gifted to give to add value to them in some way? So again, that's the spiritual leader's responsibility to the flock. We need to work hard. We do need to get in front of you to lead and model, mention and mentor. But we also need to be ones that teach. But now, what are the three ways we can do it? First of all, we need to get to know them that are in in spiritual leadership. Well, we're serving one another, but we need to get to know them. That aspect of getting to know them means to know a little bit about what makes them tick and what makes them ticked, we might say. You might want to know a little bit about them, about how that they're changing lives with other people. Years ago, when I pastored another church, we had a board, and that board uh, occasionally, not every board meeting, did this, and it was one of the rarest things I've experienced in my pastoral ministry, and it meant so much to me. About every three months or so, we would have one of the leaders on the board at the end of the meeting, without us packing up, closing in prayer, and then leaving, he would then pause and he'd say, Pastor, I would like for you to do something. I'd like for you to share with us something that you haven't really told anybody, but something that God has laid on your heart that you're sensing that he wants to do a work in our life, in our church, in some measure, and I want you to know you have the safety to share it. We're not going to pick it apart. We're not going to... marginalize you. We just want to hear what possibly God is speaking to you and I want to give you that opportunity. We want to get to know what's in your heart. There was such a freedom because that was an opportunity for me to share with them what I believe God would have us do now or next or a warning or a caution or a step of faith we needed to take. It doesn't mean that every time I did it, everybody said, oh, the voice of Pons is the voice of God. It wasn't like that. But it was an opportunity to share. And do you know what salt and peppered in our group are a lot of leaders that God is ministering to them because of their oversight and seeing and hearing that they would like to share with you. So get to know them. What makes them laugh? What makes them cry? What makes them sing? Find out what's in their heart. And then it says to value them. Now the value of them basically means to respect them. And then it says here very highly in love for their work's sake. So what you're respecting them for is the effort that they put forth but also the position that they hold. So you value them. And then number three, one of the greatest ways you can show appreciation to those in spiritual leadership is to live at peace among yourselves. I, I am glad that we do not have conflict in our church. Oh, there's always going to be a little bit of nyin yin yin a little nyin yin yin how we should put a table or what we should have for food or what about this date versus that date. There's always going to be that because we're wrapped in flesh and iron sharpeneth irons. I know all that. But there's not that conflict. However... When we do hear, not so much with people not happy with where we're going as a church, but more like when you're having struggle in your marriage, or you're having struggle with your kids, or you're having struggle with a brother or sister, or with your parents, or there's issues that are going on where you're not at peace with one another. I want you to know that that really grieves us. But it also tells us that what can we do to come alongside you, to pray with you, to encourage you, comfort you, guide you, give you a principle in some way, to bring peace in the group. I think you know exactly what I mean. You moms and dads for just a moment. How do you feel inside when you love your kids equally and yet your kids are bickering and arguing with one another and they don't want to be together? How does that make you feel? Does that make you feel real good? Shake your head, nod your head? Uh Uh-uh. 
Well, it's the same way with spiritual leadership. So again, it's when we live at peace with one another, how important that is when we do that. So those are ways you can honor people. Sometimes we honor too much people the other way. Let me take you back to the Bible days. They read this. It was then talked about in other churches until scripture then was translated and put into print about three or four hundred years later. And then it got to be where we could read it hundreds of years after that. And so they read, oh, we need to honor people. So you know what happened then? They started giving titles to different people. So we're going to call them reverend this or pastor this or bishop this. We started giving a great deal of titles. Now, I know that does, does give a recognition to people who is the head shepherd or shepherds here, who leads, who does that. So you give a title. But frankly, folks, um, the world might need that. And some people who don't know who is, that we might need that. But I'm happy with you just calling me Stan. Maybe not if you call me Stanley, but I like Stan, all right? My middle name is Rudolph. I appreciate when you don't call me by my middle name. <laughs> but I don't need to be called Reverend. In fact, the only person to revere is the Lord. And some people say, well, we'll call you Mr. Well, be careful with that, all the people. that say, we'll just call you Mr. That's a takeoff on the word Master. And Jesus said, don't call me that either. So I, I, want you, I want you to know he was a teacher. And so you don't have to call me that. Pastor Dennis, Pastor Charlie, these guys are fine with Dennis and Charlie. Maybe in a group publicly you might want to give them the title just so people know our rank and what we're doing. That's how we're so important. But man, when we're with you at your house, I'm just Stan, just Dennis, just Charlie. We're your brothers, that's all. We want to just help you. So it's not by elevating us through titles. That doesn't cut it. Okay, let's talk about the second one, the quality of appreciation. Now we're going to talk about the quality of discernment. Now, I put that discernment in here because you're going to see different kinds of people and we need to know what kind of people are out there, what do they actually need to help them. We're going to learn that from the passage and maybe a little bit about when we do it. So we're going to talk about being discerning, verses 14 and 15. Have your Bibles? Here we go. Now we exhort you, brethren, keeps on saying exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good both for yourselves and for all. So let's learn a little bit about what this might mean. Now some of you might think, well, okay, someone has a problem, we need to fix it. And we just begin to give them general solutions. Oh, we're going to pray for you. Oh, just read your Bible. Well, that's really good, but it doesn't fit practicality. When I go to the doctor and I'm not feeling very good, bad sore throat, very achy, they determine that I need to have medicine, my doctor doesn't say to the nurse, give them some drugs. Well, what kind do you want to give, Stan? Any drug. Just go there, give them any kind of drugs. No, they give me the right drug for the right sickness that I have so that I would get over this thing and get well. So for you and me, what we have to discern is who are the sick people that are around us? What is the type of spiritual drug that we give to them? Because our desire is to get them healthy again because healthy people then are the people that will add the most value to others. Why? Because we know that hurting people hurt people. So if a person is hurting, we're going to have a hurting church over here because hurting people hurt church people. So now if we can get them healthy, they're not going to hurt as much. So now let's look here at being discerning three different kinds of people just in this passage alone. First of all, I'm supposed to warn those who are idle when they're lazy. Now, I don't want you to go on a kick and start looking at people that are lazy in your midst, but at the same time, God will reveal who might be lazy and idle. Now, some commentators say that that word that means unruly also could mean disorderly. Others say it could mean idle. So it's a little bit of idleness. It could be unruliness. They're kind of both mixed on this type of thing here. But the bottom line is those that are idle and those that are lazy, they need to have a little bit of help. 
Then he talks about warning them. That word idle is a military word, oddly enough, that was used in the military, not often in the Greek, in the Bible. But it was a military term that was used about military people that would get involved in military and then they wouldn't go to battle and then they would quit. And I got, isn't that interesting how that the Holy Spirit led Paul to take a military term that stood for basically AWOL, basically quitter, and talk about what the Christian church ought to do with those who are the quitters or the unruly ones. And I thought, isn't this wise too? Because what's the, why would I want to help a person who's idle? Well, first of all, if he's idle, sooner or later, he's going to become unruly. People who are idle generally become gossips. Now, we learn that from a lot of other scriptures. They generally turn to be the ones that are the critics, the slanderers, the ones that keep throwing sand in the gears of the forward motion of a ministry or of a family or of a business. So he says, if you're idle, you'll become unruly. So that's why it kind of goes together. But also when you're this way, if you're not doing anything that's productive, then you know at the end of your day, you look at your life and pretty soon it's going to dawn on you that you've wasted that day and it'll affect your self-esteem. It'll, it'll affect your sense of worth. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. We'll be right back. 